Hi, welcome to the Shallow Dive on Derech Eretz Zuta, the Little Book of Etiquette, a collection of wisdom from our sages about how to relate to life. I hope you enjoy. Derech Eretz Zuta, Perk Tes, Brisa He, 9-5. Im Rodsta, Lichvod Chacham. If you have run for the honor of a sage, Havin lobanim ubanos mitukanim. The gra changes the girsa. Yiyelacha, you will have sons and daughters of refinement. Vimrotsta lechvod ani, and if you have run for the honor of a poor person, the gra changes the girsa again, same insertion, instead of having lo, will be for him, sons, sons, that are proficient, in the Torah, and fulfill, the commands, of the Torah, among Israel. Let's take a look at, at these two points. We're, we're, not, we're not just talking about honoring someone who's wise or honoring someone who is poor, but we're talking about running for their honor. Right? Running for their honor is, is an exertion. And it's very often the honor of the, the Chacham can, can have a utility. A person would, would honor the Chacham because he should. It's, he's trying to learn from the Chacham. There could be other motivations, but the running to honor the Chacham reveals a, a, a sense of deep imperative. He recognizes that the value of the Chacham is, is such that he's pushing himself in order to extend that honor to the wise. So that higher level of appreciation that translates into a personal exertion, which is beyond the the basic requisite. Right? It's not not talking about the chacham walks in, and you stand up. That's not running to honor the chacham. That's it. the opportunity jumps in, in, into your lap. So yes, so you, so you honor the wise. Running to do so is a whole different level. That's a level of refinement that will translate into a transgenerational impact. You'll have sons and daughters of refinement, which is an amazing thing. Right? That things that we can do that not just through our ability to, to raise our children, 
things that we can do in our lives that the way the Gra changes it, he says, Yi he will have. It's, it sounds like it's in the future, even if it's not just that they're seeing by example. But the act itself will impact his descendants in a transgenerational manner. So to achieve that, that requires exertion. It has to be driven, push himself for the honor of the Chacham. And the second clause is for the honor of the poor person. And perhaps it's somewhat counterintuitive. You would think, if you were, if you were guessing, that honoring the Chacham would, you know, exerting oneself, would achieve Chachma. It doesn't say that. If a person wants to have Bonim Balei Torah, sons that are proficient in the Torah, so that is achieved by running, exerting oneself for the honor of the poor. And the Gemara says to be careful for the sons of the poor because from them the Torah will go out. The Torah goes forth from the poor. Which is, is a fascinating idea. We, we find this almost, almost institutionalized if you look at the Torah. The, the Kohanim and the Levian, the Kohanim and the Levian have gifts. And they're lumped together, particularly the Levian, are lumped together with the poor and the downtrodden, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, all of these underprivileged groups. The Levi also is underprivileged in a financial sense, if you will. He's not given an inheritance. He's given gifts from his brethren that will sustain him, but he's, he's lumped together with, with those that are disenfranchised within society. The, the guidance of the Torah is not meant to be clearly, we see this in the structure, it's not meant to be coming from an authoritarian uh, push to, to coercion. That is, that is not, that's not the derech of the Torah. The guidance, the hurrah of the Torah is coming specifically from those that are, are poor. They're, they're not entrenched in the power structure. So, the value of the poor, the honor of the poor, is, is really recognizing the, the, the honor of the person himself not their trappings of wealth or power, but the person himself, the Tzalem Elohim, the divine image, 
stripped of anything else, is coming forth most in, in, in most pronounced fashion in a person who's poor, bereft of other trappings of greatness. It's Tzalem Elohim. And a person who exerts themselves to run, to honor an Ani, this is, is somebody that is taking action in their life that will again have this transgenerational effect. It will make them to a degree an Av, a progenitor that will imprint upon his children the values of acquiring the wisdom of God, of the Torah, and translate into the fulfillment of mitzvahs. Right, this, is, this is not the reward for running to honor the sages. It's, it's a fascinating thing. The Bryce here is saying this is the reward for honoring, for running to honor the poor. Now, what, why does it say in the first part, banim banos, sons and daughters? I don't know. I don't know why it's specifically sons and daughters. Mitukanim is something that's applicable to sons and daughters, obviously. They're refined. The, the appreciation, the exertion to honor the wise engenders refinement for sons and daughters. The Mila of Balei Torah sounds like that's Bonim, that's, that's specifically for the sons. That is the, the Mashmos of this Brisa. Not that, it, not that it, a woman can't acquire Torah, but the, the designation of Balei Torah, it sounds like that's reserved for Bonim. That is the, the natural way that this character trait would imprint on his descendants. Where else would he be Mekai Mitzvah? In, in, in the whole world. Why is it saying Dafka Bisro? Perhaps there's a Chiddush here that this Maila Imratta Ani. This is perhaps not only true for a Jew, but even for a non-Jew. Perhaps that exertion for the, the dearness of Tzalmelokim would translate into that person's descendants coming close to the Torah, accepting the Torah and fulfilling the mitzvahs, within the Jewish nation, even if they themselves were not Jewish. That's, that is really the, the, the creed of Avram Avinu, is recognizing that Salem Elohim, the highest order. So we find there are instances of non-Jews that due to their actions, they merited to have descendants that entered into the Jewish nation, became Sometimes it's counterintuitive based on their actions, like Haman. Who would think that, that Haman would deserve such a thing? But Haman caused a lot of tshuva. 
So the the, the results are 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 incredible. Yes, but his descendants learning Torah in Bnei Brak. Really? Yes. Is that what happened? Yes. Wow. We find Eglon. So Eglon, he, he stood up for the honor the, of, of the Chacham, actually. Bonum bonus mitukonim. I don't know that, that he stood up for the poor, necessarily. But certainly we look at Eglon, how, how his actions uh, impacted his descendants, Rus, the, the mother of the matriarch of, of the Jewish monarchy, through him. And he in turn is coming from Balak. Balak, the king of... What was that? Eglon? Eglon. Is the name of a Moabite um, king, king? Moabite king, yes. And his ancestor was Balak. And Balak offered Balak. sacrifices to God. We, we do see that what yeah, a person... sacrifice to God in order to curse the Jewish nation. Right? Yes, I, I didn't say that his, his purpose was ideal. I'm, I'm not saying that. But, but he did acknowledge the existence of God, basically. Certainly. So right. in that sense, he did something good. <laughs> if, yes, even if chesed l'umim chatos, even if the kindness could, could have an aspect of sin, but still, it, it was a an action that was rewarded greatly. He, he, was, he was aware of and, and acted upon this knowledge of, of God's supremacy over the world. And here's a king who is sizing things up correctly. He's concerned. Obviously, there's concern about how to deal with this nation coming up out of Egypt. But the recognition of the supremacy of God and the offerings to that God, the God of the universe, that was handsomely rewarded in a transgenerational manner. So we do find that there can be a crossover. Even if he was not Jewish, his descendants may merit, due to his actions, to be Baletar Makaim Mitzvah Beisrael. To explain the the relationship between running to honor the Chacham and having Banim Banos Mitukonim, we, we find that connection codified by the Rambam in Hilchas Days, chapter 5, the first paragraph. Kishem Shachacham Nikr Bechachmaso Ubedeo. So just as the wise are distinct, can detect their wisdom. You can de detect that they are wise through their wisdom. Ubede Osov and his his midos, his characteristics. He is unique and distinct from the rest of the nation. And he goes through all of the ways in which he interacts and how he goes about his life, he needs to be distinct. And he says at the end, the yukol hamasim ha'elu noim umitukonim v'yosef. Not just distinct, but exceptionally refined. Beautiful. 
And then he goes through the whole chapter in, in how this plays out. He says, uh, the, the Mila of Chachma needs to be something that permeates the Chacham's entire life. Mitukan and Biyoseh. So the, the running to honor the Chacham leads to Bonim, Ubanos, that have this Mila. Sons and daughters that will be mitukanim, that will be refined. If this is something that he values to, to push and exert himself for, he will merit to, to have this as, as part of his, his own legacy. Imra Isa Chacham Shemes, the next line over here, by me it's. If you've seen a wise person that has died, do not turn back from him. Do not turn away from him. Until you escort him all the way to the grave. But technically speaking, there's a mitzvah of escorting the corpse to the burial, assuming that this is being done with the personal obligation of taking him all the way there is limited. But when you're dealing with a chacham, so there's a, a higher imperative. Don't turn back from him until you've brought him all the way to the grave. What is, what is the result of fulfilling this recommendation of Derech Herzuta? To the Chacham in this way, relating to the Chacham in this manner. The Grud changes his gears again. Kedei, in order that, that in the person's own death, they will come and rest in their grave in a, in a manner, in, in their, in, in, on their bed. They, they will have a peaceful and death that will uh, be accompanied by a burial that is fitting. The, the gear is changing over here. But the, the concluding part of, of the Brisa says that this will be of such an exalted manner that people will speak about your peace in a manner akin to the peace Kishon Penchaz ben Lazar. Penchaz, the son of Lazar. And he got, of, of all of the covenants mentioned in Tanakh, his covenant is called his Brisa Shalom, his, his covenant of peace. So that's the, the highest level, as it were. So this sounds pretty straightforward. What, what is the method to achieve such a, a great level of peace? I mean, at the highest level, Pinchas, as we saw earlier in Derech Herzuta, he's one of the few people 
that actually never died. In the end of Perakalas. says, Tes nechnesu b'chayeyem, b'ganeden. Nine entered alive into the Garden of Eden. Elohim. Chanoch ben Yered, ve'eliyahu, Mashiach, ve'eliyazer evad Avram, chira melchzor, ve'eved melch akushi, v'yavetz benor shab Yudah nasi, v'sibaz paru, serach v'asasher, v'yishomer af rabi Yushua ben Levi. So here it's not mentioned over here. Oh, so I'm sorry, it says Eliyahu, meaning Eliyahu is Pinchas. That the Gemara says, Eliyahu is Pinchas. Pinchas ascended in a fiery chariot, and he did not actually die. So that's the highest piece you could imagine to not actually die. And how is this achieved? People will speak about your piece like the piece of Pinchas ben Alozer. It doesn't say that you merely make sure that he's buried. It doesn't say, Al Tachser Me'olav Ad Shenikbar. It's not a matter of just making sure he's buried. If we read it very carefully, Al Tachser Me'olav Escort him all the way to the grave. It's a different nakud over here. The, the yachas to the chacham in this context is one of a deep and enduring connection that is only severed by the actual grave. When, there, when there's no possibility of further escorting him. A chokham is somebody that has acquired the Torah. And there's a heightened obligation to honor a chokham in death more than every individual. There's more than just regular Mitzvah of Kura, even if it's, if, if there's a huge crowd, a person should participate, because it's as though the Torah is being taken away from us. The Chacham has the Torah, and is now being removed from our, our midst, being taken from us. So, as the Torah was given to a nation, the nation should escort the Torah back, as it were, if they're departing from them, and mess as a nation. But this, this I think, is talking about an, an aspect of how not just to accord him honor in death, but the extent of, of holding on to that connection. Do not turn back from him until he's been brought all the way to the grave. I think this reflects a certain, maybe you would even say stubbornness, disbelief 
in the restriction of, of death as the person relates to the Chacham. Gemara Subis and Daf Kavdalid says at the top, Kavdalid Manav, 104a. On that day of the passing of Rebbe, goes Rabbanon Tanisa. The sages decreed a fast, and they were praying for mercy. And they announced, Anyone who announces the death of Rebbe shall be stabbed with a sword. Which is a very extreme statement. Obviously, one is not allowed to commit murder. What is the opposition to announcing the passing of Rebbe? If Rebbe has died, Rebbe has died. This is a, a fact. There's what to be done. What are they saying so sharp and strong? Whoever declares that Rebbe has passed on shall be stabbed with a sword. They're not willing to let go of Rebbe. It's a, it's a remarkable thing. The, the, the stubbornness with which they are holding on to him. Yes? Aren't they like then announcing it? He didn't die. They were going to make sure he doesn't die. This was announced on the day that he did actually end up dying. Oh. They, there was a fast. They were praying. So the Gemara continues. Sulika Amose de Rebbe, the Igra, the maidservant of Rebbe, she's a pretty wise lady, see other Gemaras. She went up to the rooftop. Rashi Menachas says Igra is a gag. Amra, the Elyonim Evakshemes Rebbe. She said that the upper, the upper worlds, as it were, the spiritual realm, Rebbe is being sought. They want Rebbe. And the lower worlds want to hold on to Rebbe. They don't want to give him up. They don't want to allow him to depart. Her prayer was, may it be the will of God, that the lower ones should prevail over the upper ones. That those who, who feel they need to have Rebbe, the Chacham, their guide in this world, with them, May they succeed against the wishes of the upper world. Kivon de Chazai Kamazimni. However, once she had seen multiple occasions, the Ayla Besakise, the Cholotzfilin, Monachlahu, that he needed to relieve himself and he had to take off his Tfilin in order to do so and then put them back on. And he was in great pain. His, his life had become pretty much unbearable. The, Rashi says, which is an interesting thing. The, the fulfillment of the mitzvah that he's doing is, is being basically halted. Needs to take it off, put it on, right away take it off again. 
and he was disturbed. He was in pain over this. Once she saw that he was in pain, Amra, she said, he wrote, she changed her tune. She said, may it be the will that the, the will of the, the heavenly ones that Rebbe's presence is sought in heaven, let that be prevail, prevail over the will of, of the people here that seek his continued life among them. But the sages would not stop from their continuous prayers of mercy. So Rabbi wasn't dying. So she took matters into her own hands. Shakla Kuza, she took a jug. Shadya Meigran, she threw it from the roof. Laara to the ground. Obviously that made a commotion. Ishtiklu Mirachme. And they were silent from praying for mercy that Rebbe continued to live. Vinoch Nafshed Rebbe. And Rebbe's soul departed. Zil Ayin. The sages who were there said to Barkapara, go and take a look. He saw that Rebbe had in fact died. I mean, there was a commotion, they'd stopped praying, and they sent Barkapara to try and figure out how Rebbe was doing, and he saw that he had in fact died. He ripped his garment, and he turned it over behind him so that it wouldn't be visible. A student is meant to rip Kriya for his Rebbe. Pasach ve'amar ar'elim metzukim achzu ve'arna kodesh notzchu ar'elim es metzukim He said a marshal. Rashi speaks it out. Malachim v'tzadikim There's a fight, a struggle between the angels and the righteous. And they're both grabbing onto the ark, the holy ark. The angels were victorious over the righteous. Nashba Arana Kodesh. And the holy ark has been captured. Amrulay, Noch Nafshe, said, Has he died? Amrulu, Atun Kamisu. He said, You said it. I didn't say it. They had declared anybody who had announced that Rebbe died would, have, would be stabbed with a sword. So he didn't say it. He just said a marshal. They, they understood correctly from the marshal that he had died. We see this perseverance on the part of those that value the Chacham. They didn't want to let him go. It was a, a disbelief. It was a, it was a fight. Happy. Yes? Why didn't she just pray that his pains go away instead of vowing that he should die? It's a good question. I don't know. The Gemara Nadarim Daf Mem talks about this. Anybody who is metapel to to seek out the needs of the sick brings about their their living, their continued living. Having good care is 
is a real factor in longevity. And anybody who does not seek out the welfare of the sick causes their death. My garma, what is the, the cause? All that seek out the sick and their needs means to pray for mercy that they survive and be, and be granted life. The and anybody who's not seeking out the needs of the sick is praying for mercy that they die. That they should die, pray that they should die. Rather, the interpretation is all that don't seek out the needs of the sick. Don't seek out, don't pray for mercy, neither that he should live nor should die. Tosos over here, or the Ran rather, the Ran over here says, Don't ask for mercy, not for life nor for death. The Ran says, This is what it means. There are certain circumstances where it's appropriate to pray for the sick that they die. So the, the Ran says, what is the circumstance where it's appropriate to pray for mercy that the person who's sick should die? Is if the person who's sick is wrecked with such pain in a manner that they cannot survive from this illness. So it's a type of illness that in, in the, the circumstance, how should he know? But he's saying if it's apparent, it's not something that he could possibly live from without a miracle, obviously, then it's appropriate to pray that they be not suffering. And his proof for this is the Gemara Subas Kavdalit we just saw. Once she saw Rebbe's suffering, she saw his suffering. It's a another way of saying that her prayer was that Rebbe should die. Okay, so, so the, the Ran is saying that there can be a circumstance where it's appropriate to pray for death, but he's limiting that. What is the case? when there's so much suffering without any anticipation of a healing from the illness. It was, it was a type of illness that there was no anticipation that it would be healed without a miracle. It seemed imminent that, that it was something that would cause his death. So the, the prayer was that he not have to suffer. That's what the Ran says. Normally we don't ask for pray for miracles. So... 
asking for him to not suffer, I, I don't know why that wouldn't be a first choice, but it sounds like the way the Rana is learning that that's not a, a reasonable prayer in the, in the way of, of the illness, that, that he shouldn't be suffering from that illness and not be able to heal from it, was basically praying for a miracle. So what would be the prayer to his benefit was that he not be suffering. That would be compatible in the way of the world with his death. So why are they so so stubborn here? Then they don't want Rebbe to die. Well, if, if we look a page earlier, Kuv Gimel and Aleph, perhaps we can gain some insight into the the limitations of death, even after he died. Gemara says. Part of the Tzavo of Rebbe was to keep things going, keep his house going. My time, what was the reasoning? He would come every Friday night to, to his home. This is after Rebbe's death. The Gilead of Shasta, Rebbe Eger, quotes over here, and he would be dressed in fine garments, Shailovish Shabbos, the garments that he wore on Shabbos, and he would exempt the people from the midst of Kiddush Yom. He would make Kiddush for them. Velo kishar mesin, shem chav And not like others that are dead. A regular dead person is called a nifter. He's exempt. He's not shy of He can't fulfill commands. He's no longer alive. Rebbe, after his death, is making kiddish for the people in his home. Kitzadikim chaim potem kiddish. As the righteous, they're still living and can even exempt those that are obligated in Kiddush. Sefer Hasidim. It's quoting the Sefer Hasidim here. So the Gemara mentions what happened ultimately. He would come Friday nights, make Kiddush. Ahu Shimsha Asai Shevvasa Kokaria Ababa There is a knock at the door. Friday night, a knock at the door. Amra Amasei Shtiku, the Rebbe Yosef. He told him, the poor verse knocked the door. Shh, be quiet. Rebbe is, is, is sitting. Kivan Shoma, since he heard that it was making a, a tumult, that the word was out, that he was coming home and, and making kiddush for his, for his family. So, Shuv he didn't come back. Why not? People shouldn't think that he was so special. There were other righteous ones before him, and they didn't have this custom, and he didn't want them to think. He didn't want people to say, oh, Rebbe is more righteous than them. He's just a, a regular tzaddik. Other tzaddikim could also do that. They didn't. And now that the word is getting out, so he's going to make a, 
Silent entry. What do you mean? He's already in the Gemara. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that, that didn't work out so well. Well, I didn't want to keep coming. I didn't want to make it. <laughs> it, was, it was a story that didn't continue. So when we see this unwillingness to depart from Rebbe, there seems to be something to it. Even after he actually did die, he was still shy to mitzvahs. He wasn't a regular nifter. He was a tzaddik. Even in their death, they're called alive to the extent, says the Sefer Hasidim, that's certainly implicit in the Gemara, that he was among the living. Just in a behind-the-scenes kind of way, but not even that behind-the-scenes. Until, until he was getting too much attention. So they don't want to let him go, and for good reason. He didn't need to go. And the Gemara says in Tainus that Yaakov, Avinu Lomis, our father Jacob, did not die. It's based on a drasha. Here we have in the Torah discussion about his burial, eulogy. Okay, it's not, it's not necessarily a stira. We have a drasha that Yaakov Lomis, that the fulfillment of that is not necessarily a stira. Just like Rebbe died but was still not a nifter, so Yaakov was not, not a nifter. There are other madrigas of this. There are other madrigas. could be fulfilled through legacy in a, in a more metaphorical manner. It's also a possibility. What is a madriga? A, a level, a, a step. So, I think this does tie into the mida keneged mida. Right? What does the Bryce say in Der Herzuta that what is the reward for clinging to the Chacham, recognizing his, his status of transcending death to a degree, the person who, who doesn't depart him until he has no choice whatsoever. Not just to make sure to bury him, but to not turn from him until he turns from you, as it were. Then a person will merit the peace of Pinchas ben Elazar, the peace to also transcend death. That deep recognition that the Chacham is able to transcend death. And if he turns away from you, what could you do? But the same way that Rebbe can come back and make Kiddush for his, his family. So the person is, is not departing the Chacham. The Chacham is departing the person. They will be able to merit to have on some degree the peace of Pinchas ben Elazar. To, to have a ex- personal experience of the life that transcends death. Like Pinchas ben Elazar.
when we find different sources of where this is derived from, how can somebody have that conviction? We have multiple sources. The Torah is called Eitz Chaim Hi, Lamachazikim Ba. The Chacham is the one who is a living Torah. So, the ability to trans- de- transcend death, he has grasped the tree of life. We shouldn't be shocked at all. In fact, when the Torah was given to the entire nation, death had been transcended. There's a rectification of the sin, the consumption of the tree, the forbidden fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they sinned again with the Eglazov, the golden calf, and were once again subject to death, to mortality. But the actual giving of the Torah in the highest level is something that elevates a person to immortality. So, escorting the Chacham as far as one possibly can, cleaving to the Chacham, that, that is, is a reflection of this knowledge. Not viewing the Chacham as limited, hemmed in by death, because... Even in their death are called alive. Welcome to the Shallow Dive on Koheles, the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us as we explore the treasures gathered by King Solomon. I hope you enjoy it. Tov yeled miskein v'chacham Better is the young and poor but wise aspiring ruler Mimelech zokein uksil from the old king who is foolish asher lo yoda lizorod that no longer knows how to be careful. So we saw that in the commentaries, this is interpreted in various ways. It can be interpreted politically, and it can be interpreted on the, the micro, personal level, on, on a person, how a person rules himself. So let's take a look again, how this leads to the next, next verse. Why is that better? Even though this up-and-coming is younger and impoverished, but the wisdom will carry the day. For he has left from the, the house of bondage to rule. For also, in his kingdom, or kingship, he was born poor. Uh, different, different ideas. To, to look at the political idea, let's take a look at the Mtsuras David. This young and poor aspiring ruler, 
so he has saved himself through his wisdom. He has succeeded in the face of obstacles. He's been incarcerated, restricted, and yet able to elevate himself through his wisdom. And that perseverance is, although somewhat surprising in terms of what is achieved, it's a continuation of the same theme. What he has done for himself is, is a characteristic that makes him worthy to lead the country. And the, the real political example of this is what happened to Joseph in Egypt. He was low, he was in, in jail, powerless. But his wisdom gave him an elevated status. He was able to, to ascend the ranks, to have the, the favor of his captives. They recognized his greatness. And ultimately, he was able to, through his Chachmah, help Paro and the entire kingdom. So his, his Chachmah was able to, to help himself. He was able to use that for, for his own gain. And he was able to extend that to a position of, of leadership. The fact that he's coming from base Hasurim that adversity that he has overcome through his Chachmah is itself the, the appropriate test ground, if you will, for exercising his Chachmah for the benefit of running a country. For also in his kingdom, he was born impoverished. And Surah David continues, he says that he was a born leader. From, from his inception, he had the characteristics of leadership. He was charismatic. They would say about him, see this poor one was born with his, his element of royalty. It's as though he were born a king. That same characteristic of leadership and wisdom that, that guided him through his challenges was recognized even before he had overcome his challenges. People saw within him the greatness of leadership. And it was, it was his natural tchuna. It was, it was his natural character. That's the way Mitsudas explains it. Take a look at the Svarno. Kimi beis hasurim yotza. Yotza lahurus the beis hamedrish. He's gone forth to give guidance, hurrah, from the house of study. Anoshim sorim mechevras hamisvakhim yachar. People that are are in, in entangled in debate. 
So the, the Svarno is, is working on a bit of a different angle. He's looking at it as the value of, of sharp analysis for the, the breakthrough in understanding of wisdom. It says that the ability, base hasurim yotza, this mila of the chacham, is what is needed to navigate the the debates that that he perceives. There are debates, but without chachma, how will he know who is right? Nolad rash, v'amarti shal yeled miskin v'chacham. Tov mizazakin. Born impoverished, says the Sforno, and I've said that this young, impoverished, but wise is better than the old king. Even though he has many packages, his pellets, as it were, of truths. It's not integrated in a way that he's able to, to derive from it. He's not able to understand them properly without error. Because he's lacking the ability to navigate debate and guard from the errors that are presented in debate. When you have a debate, it's possible that there's cor- correct aspects of one side, correct aspects of the other side of the debate. Of course, it's possible that they're both wrong, but the ability to navigate and avoid the pitfalls of the actual errors through the debate requires chachma. The Ibn Ezra says, Ki tochen hayeled melech possible that the, the young aspiring ruler is a wise king, he can rule wisely even while enshackled it says hasurim, it's missing aleph as Mitzvah Sin also points out chaser aleph asurim like matir asurim unshackles those who are tied. Kemo, he brings an example, okay. Zeh yelet, Kemo Yosef, Shechach Moso, Samtu Adam. His wisdom placed him to be a master, to be a leader. Ve'amar Shlomo, and now King Solomon is, is saying, Al titma ech yotza ha'chacham midav lehefech. Don't be shocked and surprised at this jarring circumstance, this meteoric rise from the lowest station, Yosef, as a slave, a foreigner, who's in, in jail, suddenly becoming the, the viceroy, don't be surprised, King Solomon says, Even the, the old king was born impoverished, Nobody's born wise. Nobody's born in power. So everybody has, to a degree, a meteoric rise. 
As it says in Eob, the book of Job, I have left from my mother naked. And everybody's born in their birthday suit with very little. They're not wise. They don't have much. Whatever they have achieved is, to a degree, a meteoric rise. So don't be surprised. That's, that's the nature of human achievement. The Targum says, Arum minganisas palche tavosa. Avram Avinu came out of a family of idolaters. Nofak Avram. Umolach al Arad Knani. And he ruled in the land of Canaan. Arum af biyoma malchuse davram is avid nimrod miskena ba'alma. And concurrently with the ascent of Avram was the impoverishment and humbling of Nimrod. And Nimrod, according to our sages, is identified as Amraphel, the story of the, the war between the four kings and the five. And Avram was the, the ultimate victor over the leader of the four kings, over Nimrod. And this is in spite of his humble beginnings. He's coming from a family of idolatry, and he's able to become a ruler in the land of Canaan and to succeed militarily, not just in debate, but militarily as well, and, and achieve the humbling of Nimrod. The Midrashic interpretation associating Nimrod with Amraphel is that he said to Avram, Amar Pol. He told Avram, after all the discussions of which idolatry to recognize and worship, he reverted to his personal favorite as a bit of a pyro. He said, fall into the, the kivshan, into this furnace. See if you can survive the power of fire. Of course, God inter intervened and, and did save Avram Avinu. But he was the... Nimrod was the one who said, Amar Paul, Amraphel. Now, ultimately, even in this world, we saw a reversal, the, the ascent of Avram and the, the humbling of Nimrod. Continuing the next Pasik, Tezvav, Ra'isi, Eskol HaChaim, I have seen all the living, HaMahalchim Tachas HaShamesh, that are walking or traveling under the sun with the lad, the second lad that shall stand and take his place. A bit cryptic here. Let's take a look at the Ben Ezra. Ro'isi im hayelad hasheni shumelach tachas hazokin this is the, the second aspiring king that we said was better than the previous king. He was a Chacham. He's taking over and, and ruling in place of the older king. And he's called second because he is a lad. He comes afterwards. And he takes the place. So this is a, a common 
theme that there's a transfer of power. So you have the meteoric rise of the king who has the wisdom, or the aspiring ruler, who actually does take over the mantle of leadership. Over the, the older king who is no longer capable of ruling properly. Metsudas David says, Ro'isi, be'enai ro'isi, and with my eyes I have seen, as kol hanoshim, hacharutsim, vazrizim, amatailim ba'ola. All sorts of people with drive and pushing themselves, engaging in this world, a lot of motivation. Im hayelarasheni, we're the second lad, the one who's coming afterwards. I've seen them with this second lad. That is born after this poor child. That has saved himself with his wisdom and gone forth to rule. So he's, he's seeing... A, a cohort of people with this the, the second aspiring ruler Asher Yamod Tachtov that will stand in his place Asher Shofatati Bidaiti Shu Yamod B'Melucho Tachasarishon that I deemed in, in my understanding that he should take the reign of, of the monarchy instead of the first one, the first king. To rule after the aged king. And as if to say, since I've seen all these people with ambition and drive, the gam also reisi, Vivanti, ubachanti, chachmoso mul chachmosam, kmon kein negdo, lchein shafatti shahuimloch. So he says there, there are a lot of people that are driven, but who is the one that is truly groomed for the leadership is the one who has the wisdom. His wisdom is greater than their wisdom. And their, their ilk is like nothing in opposition to him. And therefore, he shall rule. And, meaning ambition... This is the Metsudas David. So he's saying that there are many people that want to be the king. It's good to be the king, perhaps. There's a lot of people that think so. And they're driven to pursue that goal. But that's not who will actually rule. Who who should rule? That's what the, he's saying. That Shlomo Melech is weighing in. Shafati Bedaiti. Who should stand up and lead the kingdom is the one who has wisdom. Not not those that are driven to power. Halumas Chachma says a, a different idea. Going back to the previous pasuk a bit, 
At the time of creation, God is planted in nature of people. The, the drives, physical drives, shall be bound under the, the force of the intellect. And when he goes forth, the intellect goes forth to rule over a person, he's going forth from bondage, as it were, which is a, an interesting idea on the heels of him saying that the physical forces are the Asurim. They are the ones that are bound under the force of the Seichel, of the intellect. So he's, he's ruling from those that are in the house of bondage. They, they are, they are uh, bound to the, the dictates of the Seichel, of the intellect. For also in his kingdom he is born impoverished. At the time when he reigns. When a person is born, they don't have the full intellect. At the time when the intellect is first a feature, it's extremely weak. When a baby is born, he doesn't have the full intellect. It's just a latent power until it is brought forth, until he's actually developed. It's a latent power. It's, it's groomed to be the king, but it's, it's just the undeveloped intellect. In the next verse, Roisi es kol I've seen all the living. But Dor in this evil generation, Roisi, I have seen. She'afilu hat tzadikim, even the righteous, hanikroim chayim, that are called living, b'mahalchem tachas Hashemesh, as they go under the sun in this world, im hayelet asheni, with the second aspiring ruler, Meaning, the, the power of intellect. That will stand and take, take the power from the physical drives which had previously been the old king. The intellect shall dominate and the, the interesting thing about the Talmud Chacham, he doesn't say that this is a generic feature. He says, Bidor hara hazeh, in this evil generation, even the righteous. What's, what, is his, uh, what is his point exactly? What is the Talmud Chacham trying to say? I would suggest that what he is he's laying down is the, the need for the power of intellect to guide a person, particularly in an evil generation, 
when there's a lot of influence, there's always influence one way or another in terms of how a person should live. But particularly in, in an evil generation, the righteous who are righteous, they require the power of Seichel to overcome the, the force of an evil generation. Even though they're righteous. In theory, the implication is without that backdrop, without being in an evil generation, the tzaddikim wouldn't necessarily need to come onto the seichel in order to maintain their righteousness. But it's, it's a vital feature of success against the, the force and influence of evil. Now, the, the impact, Dor Haraza, this evil generation, we, we all live in, in times that there's various levels of, of evil, of influence. And there are different approaches. There are different approaches. And to a degree that we're able to minimize the impact so that that might be a, a reasonable course of action in fact the Omar says it's, a, uh, it's also certainly a medrash it says altus karev l'rasha afilu karev l'tera don't attach yourself to the wicked even to bring him close to the Torah A person is needs to know that he's influenced by his surroundings and limiting the impact of those that he knows are wicked is a reasonable strategy. But it's not enough. Talmud Chachma is saying, in a wicked generation, even the tzaddikim need the koach ha-seichel. The koach ha-seichel to, to elevate themselves above the the natural drifting under the influence of wickedness. So that's that certainly is is imperative for us to recognize. It wasn't only in, in the generation that King Solomon was discussing. To combat the forces of evil, a person has to be able to to confront it, to to fully succeed. There's there's only so much shelter a person can afford themselves when it's ador ra, ador ha See the next pasuk. Ain kates lechola am, lechola shahaya lifnehem. There's no end to all the the nation, the masses. Lechola shahaya lifnehem to all that were before them. Gam lacharonim also the ones that come later. Lo yismechuvo they will not rejoice in him. Kigam zehevel the rainroch for this too is. Vanity, 
and a vexation of spirit. See the Mitsudas. Mitsudas David. In Kates. Bime Malchus Melachazokin. In the days of the kingdom of the, the ruler, the, the old ruler, Bime Malchus Yalad, and in the days of the subsequent young ruler, Harishon, Loi Kates Lacholaam. There's no end to all the people. And he explains to all those that were before them. That it was not enough for them to be the culmination of all the good that was before them. They will not rejoice in their lot. That although there's a clear progression, true progress, from going under the the ruler who is an old fool to the the young wise ruler, this is clearly a benefit for the nation. But nonetheless, the people, the am, hamone am, the populace, the masses, are not cognizant of this shift and they do not view themselves as the beneficiaries the culmination of the previous blessings that are that they are experiencing and they they are not able to differentiate they they are unmoved by this change with all of his wisdom, he was not able to, to guide them from their path. The masses are the masses and unmoved by the wisdom, by the, the leadership guided by wisdom. And they don't recognize the value of this change in leadership and they're unmoved. Ain kates l'cholaam. They will not rejoice in him, the way the Mitsudas David is saying, is in the new king. This too is vexation of spirit, that there will be a lack of appreciation of the good. Gam l'achronim, gam b'nei ha'am asher hayu l'achrono, also the Populous that comes afterwards, in the times of the second ruler, they will not rejoice in the good wealth that they have in their hands. They're fixated on increase. They want more. Even though they might have more blessings now than they had before, they're not satisfied and they're not appreciative they just want more. And he says, and even if they have two good, wise rulers, one after the other, the masses are unwilling to move their hearts to rejoice in their lot. King Solomon, coming back to the theme of Kohelis, 
is looking at the weakness and the, the frailty of human capacity, even in the ideal leadership guided by wisdom, there are limits. Havel, the Shevarosim. It's fleeting and a breaking of spirit, of the will. Ki ein biyodom das me'am el derechanochem. The one who is ruling with wisdom is not capable to fully correct and set straight the, the culture of those that he is ruling to the correct path. And therefore, the impact of the leadership is incomplete and will not lead to a fulfillment of, of satisfaction. There are limitations. They say you can lead the, the horse to the water, you can't make it drink. Even with, with wise leadership, followed by wise leadership, that there's only so much leadership can do. The Ibn Ezra says, Ein Kates, Avapi Shu even though he is wise, Lo Yismuchu Vo Kol Hachaim. He will not be is a celebrated king by all the living. Because the the workings of the kingship are difficult. Can't please everyone. The Tosef is Gam Terem Achronim. The verse says Gam before it says the later ones. To all those that preceded Gam Achronim, also the later ones. Why does it say Gam? It's to teach you that the previous, that the people under the previous ruler, who was the old fool, they also didn't appreciate him. Which is a remarkable thing. The Ibn Ezra is saying that there's a place for gratitude even for an old foolish king. And although it's harder to appreciate than a king that is guiding the kingdom through wisdom, but nonetheless, the flaw of lacking appreciation is, is, is something that he's, he's saying is a constant. There, there's what to appreciate before, and it wasn't appreciated. Now, when there's more to appreciate, that same flaw will just be more glaring. There will be a lack of appreciation of the good ruler, the good leadership. Some interpret the, the second the, the, the second lad as referring to the generation that comes after subsequently. And the matter is that he has perceived the living going about their business in this world under the sun. This is the, the nation, the people that will inherit and stand in their place. In a generational sense, that one generation sees the failings 
of the previous generation, every generation says we've inherited a mess. And then when that generation passes, their, their uh, subsequent generation says we inherited a mess. And the next one, and we inherited a mess. There's no, no sense of appreciation of inheriting a bounty or a lack of sense of appreciation. The Talmud Chachma says, Ein kates There's no end to all the masses. Kilomar, kibin sheroin she'ein kates Since it is apparent that there's no end to all the masses, dahinu she'ein shomra over Nothing phases them. No evil goes on them. Ubisiba zu asher ein kates veshomra over al rishaim. And for this reason. There's no end. And evil that occurs, transpires to the wicked. Gamachronim. Also, the, the subsequent ones, even though they're going in a good path, and they are listening to the, the leadership of the wise young king, that is the drive to do good. Nonetheless, they will not rejoice in him. And they will not serve God with joy. And that's why King Solomon concludes in Talmud Chachma, he's talking about not in a political sense, in a personal sense, that the, the person who is developing and growing and transitioning from being under the grip of his physical drives to accepting the leadership of his life through wisdom, he's saying still there's a problem if that leadership is accepted reluctantly, without rejoicing. And that's why he concludes this too is futility and vexation of spirit. They are serving God in sadness. That there's a, a terrible tragedy here that there's a jealousy of those that are living it up in evil, as it were. The, the sense that there's a gain to be had by doing what's wrong, the limited sense of, of justice, the limited sense of fulfillment, leads a person to tamper his enthusiasm for doing what's right. And that, that is what King Solomon is saying, according to Talmud Chachma, this aspect of tragedy, even with the good king, taking the throne and guiding the person in the right way. And he's doing the right thing. But he's doing it with a kvetch. It's hard to be a Jew. That type of service that is looking jealously at those that are not engaging in the right thing is, is something that's a breaking of the spirit. That's, that's tragic. As uh, 
I think they say the story of the Kutzke, I'm not sure which Rebbe it was, that there's an election in the town, and there's different factions, and there's the religious faction, we're proposing one leader, and the anti-religious factor proposing a different leader. And they asked for his blessing, and he said, don't worry, the, the truth the truth will win. The truth will win. Okay, so they were happy about that. Election came, and the anti-religious leader was elected by a landslide. This is a total landslide. So they said, Rebbe, you, you said that the, the truth will win. What happened? He said, I stick to what I said. They were, they were working to, to put this guy in power truthfully. They were fully behind it. They, they were working the MS, and you were trying to, to half-heartedly try and get the, the, the leader that you wanted to be elected, not the MS. You were, you were schlepping along. So, Emil, the truth won. The, the conviction is critical. It's, it's, an, it's not just a matter of doing the right thing, but with the conviction, with rejoicing, not with jealousy of those that are falling to error. That's Talumus Chachma. It's, it's possible to, to do what's right and still lose, as it were. That's what Shlomo Melch is bemoaning. It's just to, to touch on the idea that we were saying before about Altis Chaber Rasha, Afil Al Don't attach yourself to the wicked, even to bring them close to the Torah. I saw a fascinating interpretation in Megillus Rus. It's quite a perplexing discussion between Rus and her daughter's-in-law, I'm sorry, Naomi and her daughter's-in-law, Rus and Arpa. And Naomi is dissuading them from following her back to Israel. And Orpah sees the dead end to her future. She heeds what her mother-in-law says. There's no, and no reasonable anticipation of a good future for herself going to, to join the Jewish nation. So she turns back. And then, Naomi continues to try and dissuade Rus, so it appears. Which is kind of shocking. Naomi says, And behold, she said, And behold, your, your sister-in-law has returned to her nation, and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Turn back. Go with her. Do, do not, do not uh, broach me. Do not, do not uh, push, push me to forsake you. To turn from, be, from following after you. So the Bach, in his commentary on Rus, raises a number of questions 
One of the questions is, is basic, that it appears that Naomi is pushing Rus too much. Another issue that has bothered me for, for many years, why does Naomi mention that Orpah is going back to her gods and then tell Rus to follow after her? How could this be? There's a biblical prohibition for non-Jews to engage in idolatry. You want her to, to, to go back to be a Baskir Toshav, keep the seven laws of Noah, wonderful. Don't commit idolatry. How is she saying, go after your sister-in-law? She's returned to her nation and to her gods, go after her. What about Lifnei Iver, Lo Sitin Meshal? Do not place a stumbling block before the blind. So, the Bach says that Naomi was not encouraging Rus to revert to idolatry. God forbid. She was encouraging Rus to go and support her sister-in-law. lest she revert to idolatry. Naomi is saying, there's no future with me. You already heard that whole spiel. Do you want to come for me with no future? Do something productive. Go and be strong for your sister-in-law. Help her stand strong to keep the fidelity to the one true God and not to revert to paganism. Go after your sister-in-law. Do what they would call kiruv. Go and bring her close. And Rus said, Al Tifkibi, do not approach me to forsake you. The same word of Pegia is used by Avram. He approaches the Bnei Ches. He tells them to approach on his behalf Ephron to acquire the field. The Bach says in a similar sense, Naomi is asking Rus to, to be the intermediary, as it were, to, to help keep her sister-in-law Orpah strong. And on that, Rus says, no, don't ask me to be the intermediary. I, I can't risk that possibility. You think that I'll be, keep her strong, maybe I'll be dragged down with her. She said, I can't afford it. That's the way the Bach interprets these verses. Fascinating explanation which addresses this question. According to him, Naomi is certainly not encouraging Rus to go after return to adultery, but just the opposite, to help prevent her sister-in-law from sliding back into idolatry. So yeah, so Rus was taking this stance correctly, certainly history uh, vindicated her position, she did not want to risk going to be Mekariv, her sister-in-law, she was reverting, that was a legitimate concern, but she could not risk herself in this attachment to her dear sister-in-law with the most noble intentions, still, do not do not cleave to the wicked.